too often I'll, I'll tell my players, hey, you want to play at the next level, and I'll talk about the next level. I'll talk about what they need to do academically yep. and character-wise and athletically. And I've really tried to just stop. I mean, certain kids you have to share that with. And we talk to our players about what they need to do. We talk about that stuff. But I think there's a lot more power in being where their feet are and not always uh-huh. trying to find find joy in that next level. Because yeah. you, know, you see so many people at the professional level, people who end up making millions of dollars who commit suicide or millions of dollars who have failed marriages and go bankrupt or whatever. And yeah. I, I think too often it's a trap to always look ahead to the next greatest thing or ne- next greatest level as opposed to say, hey, let's be where our feet are and just enjoy this moment. Welcome to the Coaches Club Podcast, powered by Transform Sport, where we believe great coaches transform lives, athletes deserve great coaches, and coaches deserve great training. I'm your host, Luke Gromer, and every week we're bringing you conversations with coaches and leaders in sport that will help you grow as an effective teacher and transformational leader so that you and your team can reach your potential. Coaches, I'm excited to welcome Coach Kurt Hines to the podcast. Coach Hines is a high school football coach in California, a keynote speaker, and a podcast host. Before we hop into the conversation, let me tell you a little bit about some of the upcoming bonus episodes I'm going to be releasing. This conversation was originally an interview I recorded in preparation for a TEDx talk that has never happened. If you want to learn more about that experience, go listen to the trailer of the podcast. I didn't know that I would be turning these interviews into a podcast, so that means a couple things. First, I didn't have the right equipment and the quality isn't as high as my weekly podcast episodes have been. I've done my best to edit them, but just know that as you listen. Second, I had a general template of questions I was asking all of the initial coaches I interviewed, so it may have a different feel than some of the episodes you've listened to thus far. But regardless, I think you'll still find the conversation valuable to your coaching, as Coach Hines shares a lot of great thoughts and perspectives around coaching and the culture of sports. And I'll have coaching notes for the bonus episodes as well. So if you enjoyed this episode and want to get the free podcast notes, go to coachesclubpod.com or click the link in the show details to download a free PDF of notes from this episode. Now to my conversation with Coach Kurt Hines. Enjoy the episode. Can you just give me like a brief, like what are the, what levels, what sports have you coached? How long? Yes, so I I am on my going into my twenty third year of coaching high school football. Um, mm-hmm. I was started years ago in New Hampshire, where, where my wife and I raised our four kids, and uh, thought yeah became a head coach out there. Um, and it was a brand new high school. Thought you know like we we went through the the, the growing pains. My first year, we had no seniors, and we we got our teeth kicked in every week. Like we we lost bad. But we, we, I joke about it, but, you know, at the end of every game, I don't care if it's basketball, football, tennis, you know, you walk through and you shake hands with the other team and you say, good game. And no one even, no one even lied to us. They were like, beautiful, beautiful field, great stadium. Um, like we were just horrible. But, uh, yeah. And a lot of it, a lot of that truthfully was just, it, it was, I was doing way too much too soon and doing a lot wrong. So a lot of it was just growing pains and, you know, and, yeah of the program, a lot of growing pains as a new head coach, but uh, ended up staying there as a head coach for seven years. And 
not I, but we ended up building a powerhouse where we had, I, we ended up having 144 players in our program in my last four years and went to the state championship three out of those four years, each time in a higher division. So I thought, man, this is it. Like this is where I'm going to retire and, and all that stuff. Not, not that I'm close to retiring yet, but, and then uh, yeah. our oldest daughter, our oldest daughter of four kids came out of school at San Diego state and we visited and I thought, man, that's gorgeous, but never even gave it a second thought about, you know, moving and uprooting our family and all that. And then we mm-hmm. had, she got married, she got married and we had our first grandson. So five years ago, we moved out here and, uh, haven't looked back. It's, it's, uh, I, I was an assistant coach out here for two years at a private Christian school and, uh, uh-huh. just felt the calling, just felt the calling, the desire to be a head coach again. And, I, I don't care what level, in my opinion, I don't care what level yeah. it is. I think if you love, if you love those you coach, and you pour into it, it's it's a full time job anyways. And, and we all have other jobs, you know, we're all teachers yeah. or something. Um, but being a head coach is just so much more demanding when you deal with parents and boosters and administration and all that stuff. But I just felt the calling to be a head coach again, so. After two years out here at a private Christian school as an assistant, I applied for the head coaching job at Coronado and uh, got that and just finished my third season here. So we are, uh, you know, like, like all of us with the craziness with COVID, we're, we're, we're getting ready for the season in, in a very different way than ever before. So that, that, that's my brief coaching history. No, that's awesome. I love it. Um, and, and kind of similar to that, just tell me, like, brief uh, athletic playing history growing up. What sports did you play? How long? Yeah. So I, I grew up in, uh, in in Rhode Island. So I grew up playing hockey for nine years. Uh, loved it. Loved it. But uh, when I got to start playing football in second grade, uh Tried baseball for one year, and that clearly was not not my sport. <laughs> so uh, did did hockey and football. And uh, as soon as I entered high school, our coaches, who who I loved and, and still respect and have a relationship to, to this day, but they they were the old school, you know, mindset of if you're not in the weight room, then you're not really committed to football type thing. So I stopped playing mm-hmm. hockey. And, and, and I, I, I don't hate them for it, but I hate that mentality because I'm a firm believer kids should be multi-sport athletes. I, I think there's so many physical and mental and growth things that that can occur from that. So, uh, so yeah, growing up, I, I played football, played hockey for nine years, football for, gosh, from second grade through college. Uh, played, played at a small Division three school up in New Hampshire. Um, and loved it, you know, and, and, and talk about that often with my players because I I think too often kids at the high school level want to play collegiate sports and, and think D1 is the only yeah. route route to go. And, and I've, unfortunately, I, I've had players that go that route and have great success, you know, and have, have had, you know, kids that go on to Boston College and have full-ride scholarships and, and start three or four years. Um but I've also had kids that have gone Division One that sit the bench for four years um, or don't finish. And I'm li- I-, I talk to the players now. I'm like, listen, do you want to go to whatever school we're talking about? Because you can you can see yourself playing there. 
realistically or because you want mom and dad to wear the sweatshirt. And yeah. I always tell them, you know, if you're passionate about basketball or football or whatever, it, the school doesn't matter. You know, if, if you have an opportunity yeah. to continue playing three, four more years, that that's what I really try to get them to, to look into. No, that's powerful. I love that. That's really good. Um, all right, a few questions just kind of focus on when when you played as an athlete. And these can be just brief, first thing that comes to your mind. Um, I mean, when you were an athlete, why did you play sports? <laughs> it's funny It's funny because I, I was just interviewed on this uh, about two years ago, and the, the video came back up, so I had to laugh at myself. As, uh-huh. as, player, as a player, I played football to hurt people. Um, I, I, I was blessed. Uh, I did not come from, from a violent home. My parents were always involved. I, I was raised blue-collar, you know, middle, middle-class America, if you will. Um, but I loved the violence of the game. You know, I, I, it's a completely different answer. I'm, I'm not sure you'll get this as to why I coach. But as a player, I loved being able to hurt someone, not, not dirty or cheap, you know, definitely within the confines of the game, but, but I loved the physical chess match on steroids, so to speak. It, it was just uh, a crazy, crazy, I loved the violence of the game as a player. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's great. Love it. Um, yeah. The next question, what what was, and, that, and maybe it's partly what you just said, but as an athlete, what was the most fun thing about playing sports for you? Yeah, it, well, it's, it's along the same lines, you know, playing with your your friends, playing with your teammates, playing with your buddies, and going out there for us in football on a Friday night and being able to, you know, play, play a crosstown rival or whatever it was and just compete with your friends and and to be able to, like I said, to, to, to inflict some sort of pain. Even now, as, as a grown man, I, I feel embarrassed saying that, but as a player, that's what it was. Yeah, no, that's that's real. You're you're not the only one for sure, especially in in um, right. That's great. I love it. Uh, the next one. Um, what was the most frustrating thing about playing as an athlete? So, what comes to mind? Um, first, like, you know, for, for me, the most frustrating part of playing was, and it was a life lesson for me, but realizing that I had to be a student athlete. You know, and mm-hmm. my, my parents kept me out of football my eighth grade season because I had I failed a class in seventh grade. Um, and it, it was one of the best things they could have done for me because it really taught me a very valuable lesson of, of balance and, and being a student athlete. But uh, I, I think now more than ever with, with how challenging and, and demanding academics are, and I think should be, but, uh, you know, as a player, just balancing that, that, that work, study, play, you know, the, just having that balance. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Um, love it. Well, now we'll kind of we'll kind of shift into uh, the coaching side of things. Um, you know, the first first question in that section is just why do you coach sports? Why do you coach football? Yes. What's yeah. why? It has zero to do with with hurting people. Um, yeah. Just to just to empower people. I, I had a seventh grade math teacher who math was growing up was my worst subject. It was the most challenging. And I had a, mm-hmm. I had a seventh grade math teacher who I remember would sit on the corner of his desk 
and just talk to us for five or ten minutes every class about life, about football, about cheerleading, or whatever it was that he knew we did outside of school. And I remember sitting there, and I was like, man, this guy cares. Like, like he really, really cares about us as people. So, I, you know, when, when I thought about the, the doing two things I love, I knew I wanted to be an elementary school teacher, um, but to, to realize I could marry the two, you know, empower people while at the same time coaching a sport I love, uh, that's it. So just, just to be able to, to impact and to empower as many people as I can. That's good. Uh, so kind of along, along those same lines, what is it about coaching that you enjoy the most? That I, that I, uh, that, I'm sorry, what, what's the part of coaching that I do what, that I, what do you enjoy the most about it? Oh, enjoy what's the part? The, yeah, the, the relationships, you know, ha- mm-hmm. having, everything from having the stud players that may be arrogant or cocky and getting them to find some humility and getting them to realize the platform they have as a stud athlete in high school to empower other teammates um, to to the kid that you know will probably always be third or fourth string at best, but to get them to continue playing for four years, um, not because it helps the team at all, but because you know it's something they need. Uh, for me, for me, it's my my favorite thing is just the relationships you build and uh, the lives you can touch. Yeah, that's awesome. I love it. Um, so, on the other side of that, what what's the most frustrating thing about coaching sports? You know, for me, I think the most frustrating thing about coaching sports it, it's changed over the years here in Southern California. There's a huge culture, if you will, of kids transferring from one school to the next for, for greater opportunities or whatever. Um, and, and I struggle with that only because, and we don't have a lot of kids that leave Coronado yet. We, we, we may or may not. We've had a few over the years. But I, I, I think there's something magical or really special about playing for your hometown, playing for your your, your 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 friends that you grew up playing with on the streets or on the beach or whatever the case may be. Um, I, I think there's, there's a lot to be learned about playing for uh, your town where maybe you're not the stud or maybe you're, you're it's not a, a division one program, so to speak, but you can gain a lot more life skills and values as opposed to just jumping around from school to school to school. Um, I, I think that's that's my one of my biggest if I, if I can cheat and give two unless you choose whichever one you want is uh, I want I want to preface it by saying I, I realize there are a lot of good personal trainers out there, uh-huh. but I all I also feel regardless of the sport I think there's a lot of the you know the street sharks if you will that train mm. train young young men and young women and they're they're saying all the the right things to the parents about you know little. Timmy should be a starting quarterback or point guard or whatever and saying all the great things that parents want to hear because they're getting paid and they don't see how that, that particular individual is day in and day out for their program, whether, mm-hmm. whether it's a character issue or coachable or whatever it is. Um, I, I think sometimes, not all, but some, some trainers lose sight of training the individual for the sport and for life and, and get too much into the politics of, you know, why they think, you know, they should be 
starting or, or whatever without knowing the program at all. Mm. No, that's good. That's really good. So, and this kind of ties right into what you were just talking about. And um, those things you just mentioned, I think, can really answer a lot of it. But um, the next question is just how would you describe the current culture of youth sports in our country? And when I say youth sports, let's talk high school and below. So, you know, interscholastic yeah. high school all the way through your, your grassroots programs. How would you describe the culture of sports? Yeah, I, I, I think, and I, and I love it. I, I, like I said, I've been doing it for 23 years. It, it's a passion yeah. of mine. Um, but I, I think there is a culture, and I try really hard not, not to, I don't want to say not to allow my coaches, but to really call my coaches out, my assistants, when I hear them say, oh, today's kids or these kids today, because we're the ones raising these kids today. So we don't like what we see. That, that, that's something that, you know, we, we got to change at home or, or with our coaching. Um, I think there's a, a big culture of, you know, everyone gets a trophy and mm-hmm. a, a, just get a trophy for showing up. And that, that's not life. You know, I, I put out a video a while ago. I don't know. I think it's one of my pinned videos on Twitter or whatever, um, talking about playing favorites. And I was like, every coach plays favorites, but and the, our favorites are usually the ones that show up, work hard, are selfless, and all that stuff. Um, I, I one of the reasons I love coaching high school football or high school sports is because I, I believe that even though they're young men and young women, they're still so impressionable. Um, mm. And I think that if, if, if we think there's a society or a culture of everyone gets a trophy, I think we can greatly change that culture one relationship at a time by mentoring and modeling, you know, the fact, you know, what, one of the things we say in my program a lot is, you know, competition breeds success. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I know I didn't, I didn't invent or come up with that phrase or saying, but I'm a firm believer that, you know, if I'm not starting for your basketball program, I can quit and, and for years talk about how you didn't like me or I can transfer to to a different school where they don't have that position filled yet, or 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 I can stay and work harder than anyone else and just just pour my heart and soul into it and end up being a starter or not in the process make everyone else around me better by competing. So I, I'm I think the culture throughout the nation, from what I hear in coaching on the East and West Coast, is a everyone gets a trophy. You know, we we all deserve to to start or win. But I, I'm also a firm believer that as coaches, we can change that culture tremendously yeah. within the, the confines of our own programs by being that example that, you know, no, no none of us, coaches or not, are, are entitled to anything. We all have to work for it and, and really get them to enjoy the process of not just game day, but of showing up every day and competing, showing up every day and working hard for something we believe in. Yeah, that's really good. Um, sorry, I'm just trying to keep up and type some of these things down. Um, Absolutely. This, this kind of ties into what you were just talking about, um, kind of thinking more about youth sports culture and, um, and what you've said so far, you know, this participation trophy culture. And then also earlier you mentioned um, just kind of the, the transfer culture and how that's really become a thing yep. of, of kids going, always thinking the grass is greener and they're, they're just ready to leave. Um, but is there anything else that you would say 
um, are are big or or a bigger problem facing youth sports than those things? I I, I think one of the things that's when I think you probably see this coach you know m- more than I do in football yet is the the travel ball stuff uh-huh. where the, the pay to play you know. So some kids you find out whether it's baseball or basketball or seven on seven football where they sometimes stop playing for their high school teams and start doing these these elite clubs that you know by these self proclaimed gurus in, in, in different sports that promise them the world. Um I and I I've, I've been guilty of this as a coach also, you know, and I really try to catch myself, but you know, we, we too often, I'll, I'll tell my players, hey, you want to play at the next level, and I'll talk about the next level. I'll talk about what they need to do academically yep. and character-wise and athletically. And I've really tried to just stop. I mean, certain kids you have to share that with. We talk to our players about what they need to do. We talk about that stuff. But I think there's a lot more power in being where their feet are and not always uh-huh. trying to find, find joy in that next level. Because yeah. you see so many people at the professional level, people who end up making millions of dollars who commit suicide or millions of dollars who have failed marriages and go bankrupt or whatever. And yeah. I, I think too often it's a trap to always look ahead to the next greatest thing or ne- next greatest level as opposed to say, hey, let's be where our feet are and just enjoy this moment. Um, enjoy where we are. Still working, still having goals and still you know striving for things. But not always looking to the next level. You know, you think about what, what we're dealing now with the whole COVID thing. Last year's spring athletes, you know, that they were just focusing on the next season. And then, gosh, several weeks into that season, they find out they're done. Yeah. You know, I I, I think that we uh, – and I, I think this applies – I don't want to get preachy with you, but I think this applies for all of us in all walks of life, whether it's with our relationships, our, our employment – whether it's athletics, just to just be where our feet are and to not miss the, the, the joy of the moment by looking ahead too often. Absolutely. No, that's good. That's really powerful. I appreciate that. Um, yeah. Good. Uh, well, so I think, I think you just kind of even led into the next question a little bit. Um, so thinking about those problems that you've mentioned, uh, participation trophy, transfer culture, the, you know, the pay-to-play travel ball. Um, just in your opinion, how can we, how can we as, as a culture, as coaches, how can we best address these problems? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to go back. Uh, you're going to get off the phone call with me. But, you know, that guy's kind of an idiot, or you're going to say he's, he's smarter than I realized. I'm not sure which which one one is true. But for me, personally, it goes back to relationships. You know, yeah. I uh, w- when I first got my first head coaching job, the administration in New Hampshire was a very affluent community. They said, Coach, uh-huh. we hire you how long before you're in the playoffs? And without hesitation, without batting an eye, I'm like three to five years. Now, we made that we made that happen. Our third year, we, we went to the playoffs. Um, yeah. That was after getting our teeth, teeth kicked in for the first two years. Um but now, now when people ask me that, it's it's not it's not some calendar how many months or, or seasons to achieve something. It's relationships. I, I think you know when people talk about helicopter parents and stuff. I think if you build a relationship where your players know that you love them, not because they're great, not because they can help you achieve 
something on, on your agenda, but you just passionately love them as people. I, I, I think that's how you build relationships. That's how you change cultures. That's how you break down barriers of, of, of you know, things that have been going on for years. Um, just, just by, you know, my, my first year here at Coronado, I came out to practice. This is gosh, like week two in the season, week two or three. And there were 15 kids and we only had 47 young men in the program that year. We had 15 of them as I'm walking from my truck to the, to the field with band-aids on their elbows or like, you know, the inside part where you, where you get blood uh-huh. and they're like, coach, we can't, we can't practice today. I'm like, what? I'm like, they're, we, they're like, well, we gave blood. And one of my assistants who had been here for 18 years and he was like, ah, oh, coach, sorry. They do that every year. And he's like, every year the, the head coach before you would yell at them and would, you know, make them feel horrible and they keep doing it. They, they, the culture was, hey, give blood, you get a day out of practice. So uh-huh. I, ended up pulling, I ended up pulling up the team together, and I said, don't you ever mispractice again, you know, because you're giving blood. No. I said, listen, I, I said, I promise you, I said, give you my word. If you ever want to give blood, call me. I'll go with you. Any, 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 any Saturday, any Sunday, any time of the year, but let's not do it here. So point of the story was the following year. And since then I haven't had a single player not practice because they were giving blood. And yes, it's important to donate blood, but they, they were using that as a crutch or as a way out. Um, and yeah. I think the reason was I didn't yell at them. I didn't scream at them or threaten them or make them run that practice or anything in my opinion, stupid like that. Just build relationships and, and they'll know that, Hey, listen, it goes back to for, for my, my, my seventh grade year in that math class. I never became a great math student, but I passed the class and I did well. And it was really because that teacher cared about me and, and I didn't yeah. want to disappoint him. So, so I, yeah. I think that that's how you change the cultures by building one relationship where people know you, you have a vested interest in them. Hmm. That's good. That's really good. Um, so next, uh, next question um, and, and again, you're kind of hitting on all these things as we're going, but just in your opinion, what are the qualities that, that come to your mind when you think about the qualities of a great coach? Yeah, great, great question. Um, for, for, for me, it's loving, loving, caring. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I gave a talk a while ago um, on, on a podcast, and it was, kind of, it was kind of one of those, you know, interactive things. And I asked, mm-hmm. I asked the audience to – to list qualities that they thought of a great parent. And yeah. I just had them throw out words and they were throwing out loving, caring, attentive, present, all the different stuff. And I mm-hmm. said, let's throw out qualities of a great coach. And they were completely different. They were like, well, mm-hmm. knowledgeable and hard and this and that. And I said, shouldn't they be the same? You know, if, if, if you, if you talk about it, I think every coach in the nation from youth sports through the NFL or, or NBA talk about, Hey, it's, it's about fundamentals, doing the simple things right, and accountability and character. I, I think I think great coaches, far more than the X's and O's and diagrams and, and drills, um, love people. Love, love their players are, are selfless leaders first, selfless you know selfless, uh, humble servants of others. Um, you know, and I've I've been blessed over the years to have been coached by 
and to coach with some great, great human beings. And I've also coached and been coached by some jack wagons that knew the sport really well, but just mm. you just knew that they, they loved the one, two, or three players that were studs. And they didn't right. love them as people. They just loved the players that were studs because they could help them win some games. Um, I think I think it's powerful when when I know that my stud athletes see me in practice or in the weight room pouring into a freshman or someone new to football that can't put their helmet on straight, you know, or Tyler's cleats it seems, but they see me giving the same attention to them. I I, I think that that builds a trust and respect where they know that when I'm getting on them or coaching them or however it is, it's not just because they're good. Cause I mm-hmm. see me pouring into the players the same way that maybe never will see the field. Yeah. No, that's good. Yeah. And that's <laughs> hard to coach your, coach your best and your worst. Well, at the same time, that that can be really hard, yeah. especially if you don't have a relationship like that. That's really good. Well, it, uh, it is. And, and I, I asked our guys to be on the practice this morning, just, just about an hour or two ago. I said, <laughs> I started out with a joke. I said, what's a rhetorical question? And uh, some of them, did, many didn't know. And I, I said, listen, it's a, it's a question that does not need an answer. I said, if you guys sneak out of your house and when you're sneaking back in, mom and dad are standing there saying, do you think we're idiots? I'm like, do not answer that question. <laughs> That's a rhetorical question. But uh, yeah. I said, so I have, a rhetor- I said, I have a rhetorical question for you guys. I said, so don't answer this now, but I want you to think about it. Who did you make better today other than yourself? And you could kind of you know, see the wheels turning. I said, listen, I said, if we only show up to make ourselves better, we're, we're, we're going to fail miserably. I said, but if you show up to practice, say, hey, listen, in addition to myself, I'm going to look for a teammate that seems like they're struggling or down or dogging it or whatever it is. And um, that, that, That's one of my favorite things as, co- as a coach also is getting others to find the joy in building up their teammates. Mm. I think yeah. I think the the world yeah. the world needs a lot a lot of that. Yeah, absolutely. That's good. Um, so on on the other side, the opposite of that question, and, and you mentioned one thing already. Um, but what what comes to mind when you think about the qualities of a bad coach? Yeah, uh, title oriented. You know, they're they're focused too much on their their position or their rank as a coach. Um, someone that prides themselves and I've I've been around several coaches that pride themselves on being football widows saying, Hey, my family knows that it's football season, so they won't see me much. And and you you hear about so many divorces and horrible things. And, you know, I, I, I've been blessed in the years I've been a head coach. I've always said that we don't have, we don't have meetings on Sundays. I refuse to, because we've got to have balance. Our families have got to know that they're not being put on some back burner I, for me, I think I think the coaches that are demeaning or demoralizing bully coaches are, are the worst because you know as, as coaches, I think when you think about your freshman basketball team, we have a captive audience. Most of them, I'm guessing, uh, un- unlike the students in your class that have to be there by law. You know, your, your yeah. kids have to go to school. Yeah. Your 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 basketball players want to be there, so we have yeah. a, we have a captive audience where. Some of the things we say, mom and dad or their pastor or preacher or whatever could be saying the same things for years, but they hear it from coach, and it just it just hits on a different level. Um, I think when you have coaches that use their platform or their power to bully or to manipulate people of the worst kind, you know, 
that, that's just <laughs> there's no yeah. place for it in my opinion no that's really good and and like you were just saying about the captive audience that's that's one of the things the head coach that i work with one of the one of the most powerful things i've learned from him was he said something along the same lines he's like look the difference between us down here on the court and when we're up in the classroom is um for the most part all the kids want to be here and um yeah. like this this is a, a place that they love and, and and absolutely it is such a captive audience that's, that's such a good way to think about it and, and talk about it um so uh kind of staying on this topic of, of coaches um and coaching what what's one thing what's the first thing that comes to your mind um that you wish you would have known about coaching when you started not to try to be people's best friends. Mm. I, uh, I I think we all like to be liked. Um, but I, I know my first few years as an assistant, there would be situations where a player might come up to me in a game and be like, hey, why'd coach call that? Or And not really looking for a learning opportunity, but they were looking to complain. And I'd be like, yeah, I don't know, or, or something foolish like that. And to, I – I wish I knew then what I know now as far as, you know, the, what players need most are not best friends, that they need coaches that love them enough to to be honest with them in all things. And I'm not saying tough love to, you know, I'm, in my program personally, we have a no swearing policy. You know, if a coach yeah. swears or a player swears, they do 25 push-ups. If it becomes an issue, the coach or player will be gone. Um, I, I, I think, you know, co- coaches need to love their players enough so they can be honest in all things whether it's their ability or if someone comes up and does question you like, Hey, why is coach so-and-so having him start over me or whatever? And, and not, not being a chump for lack of better words and mm-hmm. feeding into that negativity, but really just having honest conversations with them. Yeah. That's really good. Hmm, good. A uh, couple more. Uh, so tell me about uh, your coach, your coaching education. Um, what was that like? Did you have any formal education or training um, before you became a coach? Since you've been a coach, what's your what's your coaching education and learning look like? Yeah, no, nothing formal before becoming a coach. Just playing experience. Um, mm-hmm. The the on the job training, and I was blessed because I was blessed to coach under a, a head coach who knew the game of football and loved people. So uh, mm-hmm. in my opinion, I, I, co- I coached with a, a really good, good coach. Um, I've also over the years coached with some, you know, <laughs> I use the word jack wagons a lot, but some jack wagons yeah. who know the game really well, but mistreat and abuse and, and, and use people in a horrible way. Um, but I think you learn yeah. a lot from that because sometimes you learn, mm-hmm. you know, things you'd never do and it, it strengthens your, your passion in, in other areas. Um, since being a coach, my, you know, my formal training has been, you know, going to workshops and clinics and seminars. Um, of course, we all have to do the CPR and first aid courses. And, you know, mm-hmm. there, there's one course, I don't remember the exact name of it in, in high school football. And I'm not sure if it's, if it's the same for all high school sports, but uh-huh. there's some one, you take it one time and you're, you're, you're good for the rest of your career, but it's like, character and coaching or some, something foolish. And the reason I say foolish is because I, I I can't remember anyone taking the class and not passing it. And I think there are people that could say the right things on a piece of paper or a computer, 
but then when they coach in real life, may treat players completely different. Um, but per, personally, and I know it's different for every state. I think the best the best lessons we can learn as coaches are on the job lessons, whether it's our first year, twenty third year, or anyone in, anywhere in between, because um, that that's when real life really really hits, and that that's when you realize like there are no typical practice or very few typical practices or things because there's so many, you know, variables that can change situations. And I've, I've had coaches before that say, Oh, when I have a player that's late and they'll, they'll rat off a bunch of different consequences that they always give to every player. Yeah. And I think, man, there's so, much, there's so much danger in that because, you know, Jack might be late because he's lazy, but Jack might be yeah. late because mom and dad are getting divorced and there's more anxiety and, and stress and depression or whatever. Yeah. And so, so yeah. I, I, I think there's there's got to be, you know, we we can't have, and you know this, I, I love talking to other coaches that are also teachers, you know, every yeah. student in your class learns differently, you know, mm-hmm. and every player in our in our field or on the court learn differently and I think need to be treated differently. You can have certain standards that you set in place, but there's got to be wiggle room, I think, and, and I'm not talking about so your stud player can, can see the sure, field on the no. court. Like you saying, you know, it's but, just a level. For kids and their situation. Yes. Yep. But before you before you make a decision to actually understand what's happening. Yes. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so last last question. Um, in in your opinion, uh, what are three to five things max that you think all all coaches need to learn this, be educated about this? It could be a topic or a skill. Like what are three to five things you're like, man, if all all coaches knew how to do this, the youth sports culture would be a lot different. Communication, I think, would be up there as one of the top three. Um mm-hmm. effectively communicating with players, with parents, with with administrators. Um I I think so many problems could be solved or even even avoided if the communication was in place first. Mm-hmm. Um That's- so communicate communication will be up there. Um, I, I I think you know practicing what we preach. I don't even know if it's a skill, but it's one of those intangibles where I always say that people have the interview answers. You know, once again, everyone talks about fundamentals and character and raising better young men or young women. Um, uh, but if, if we could if we could practice what we preach, and when the proverbial crap hits the fan, and still model and 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 mm-hmm. be that living example of selfless leadership um I, I think that's a huge skill I, I i'm not sure if that can be learned in a course or just by just being you know around other coaches that do it right um and i, I think the third the third thing i'll stop at three is mm-hmm. being yourself you know i i think that, that really is a skill i think sometimes we see successful coaches and we think well i've got to be like him and we start yeah. acting or saying things in a way that it's just not authentically the, who we are and I think a the kids see right through it, and b we're we're, we're doing a disservice to everyone else because the, the, there's no cookie cutter great coach. You know, you you look at coaches at all different levels, and they can all have different styles, different ways they they interact with their players and their coaches and families, and they can all have success. But I think you need to be true to yourself as, as a coach, so you can help your players to be true to themselves.
Coaches, thanks for listening to this episode, and thanks again to Coach Hines for allowing me to interview him. I hope you found this conversation valuable, and be on the lookout for more bonus episodes in the near future. If you want the free podcast notes from this episode or any other episode of the podcast, go to coachesclubpod.com to download a free copy of notes. Thanks for listening to the Coaches Club Podcast powered by Transform Sport, where we believe great coaches transform lives, athletes deserve great coaches, and coaches deserve great training.